Peter is one of the most uh, colorful characters in the, in the Word of God, and he gives a lot of people hope because Peter was not perfect. Peter messed up a lot, and yet God used him in a mighty way. And he would often uh, you know, speak out of turn and maybe even say something crazy, but he also sometimes was the first, time, first disciple to say something right. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. So Peter was a guy that just kind of liked to shoot from the hip, but, but he uh, was quite a, uh, a blessing to us. He left us a couple of letters to read. So we're going to start with 1 Peter, living in a crisis. Say, preacher, but we haven't, for the last two years, it's kind of been a crisis. Not exactly the same as what happened, and we're going to introduce 1 Peter. It's not exactly the same situation but it's the same disruption and the same upheaval. And uh, so we'll see what Peter has to say to us through the Holy Ghost. A motorcycle, a van, and a car bet against each other to see who would win in an endurance race. The rules were set. Each vehicle was to drive 200 laps around a quarter-mile track. Each vehicle agreed to this, and the race began. After 10 laps, the motorcycle was in the lead, of course, right? The car was second. The van was third. After 50 laps, uh, the motorcycle had started to lose ground against the car and was only ahead of the van. 150 laps into the race, the motorcycle pulls into the pit stop and declares, I quit. And they said, well, why? His only response between gasping breaths, he said, well, it's because I'm too tired living in a crisis and really that's what peter talks to us about this evening is uh, i was just speaking a little bit about the coronavirus uh prior to starting bible study and it's what going on the third year started in 2020 then 2021 2022 you're thinking well preacher when are we going to get back to normal and the, I, there, I don't know if there's such thing in life. That, that, and, and really in God, the only time God really tells us to go back is to go back to Him. And otherwise, God tells us to reach forth unto those things which are before. Moses was told, speak to the people that they move back. Not, no, not to Egypt, that they move forward. So in the time of crisis, what are we doing? We're going to grow and develop as Christians and as people of God. We're not going to wait for the crisis to end because sometimes, brethren, I know a lot is taught about in different churches about, you know, your best life and all this other stuff. But, you know, you've also got to deal with real things that face us as Christians in the world. And sometimes crises don't go away. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to live in that crisis and God's going to deal with us about how to be successful. So we all go through times of disruption, uh, kind of like now. And so the word crisis, has anyone ever been through a crisis? You ever heard of a midlife crisis? You know, when the guy buys a new sports car and everything and uh, tries to relive those glory years. I don't know what a woman's midlife crisis is. The guy usually involves buying a car, right? But... The word crisis means a difficult or dangerous situation that needs serious attention. That's a crisis. And it's from the Greek word, K-R-I-S-I-S, crisis or crisis. And it simply means a decision. From the Greek, the word crisis means 
a judgment or a decision. And so we would like to understand that living in a crisis, we need to make some decisions of what we're going to do in a crisis. It demands a decision. I think I told my daughter some years ago, someone asks you what you do for a living and you tell them, I make decisions. And really all of us need to realize that in this life, we're going to be facing crises and things just for the rest of your life. There are going to be uh, unpleasant situations. Well, preacher, what am I supposed to do? Make decisions. You're supposed to make decisions. That's what the word crisis means from the Greek. So there are three basic themes in First Peter. So one is salvation, and that's really the first one we're going to deal with in the first couple of chapters. And then the, I think 16 times the word suffering is mentioned. So what? They're in a time of crisis. So it's something that in five chapters you hear 16 times this word of suffering. So that's the second theme. And then the third theme, and it's kind of counterintuitive. If someone does you wrong, what do you do? Well, they hit me, I hit them back. But it was, a, it was a, quite a uh, persecution that the church was facing. And the Holy Spirit... The third theme is subjection. And just like that lamb before its shearers, the Bible said when Jesus went to be crucified, he opened not his mouth. He didn't, he didn't react. He didn't retaliate. And there's, so there's some serious themes to look at. And this is not only how to live in a crisis, but how to live with the victory. There are lessons for us today. So let's start at chapter 1. Peter, and there's your author, right? Where did he write this from? Babylon. Where's that? Modern day Iraq. So preacher, how do you know? You go all the way to the end in chapter 5 and it said the church that is in Babylon greets you. So Peter said, preacher, why did he go to Iraq to write it? There was a crisis. So since there was a crisis, he had to flee. And uh, so anyhow, so let's start. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Cappuccino, no, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So preacher, where is Cappuccino? Well, Cappadocia and all of these other places we're talking about it really, if you look at a map, and you can pull one up as easily. I've got a picture on my uh, teaching device here. Uh, it's modern-day Turkey. So it looks like it's about the western half of modern-day Turkey. So Bithynia and Pontus are up top. Galatia's kind of through the middle. The, what's known as Asia is all the way over to the, to the west. And then Cappadocia is kind of over to the east. So this is, if you, if you do a lot of modern-day uh, Bible, now there's going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is obviously the place where Jesus was crucified, and Israel is where Jesus was born. But a lot of the New Testament deals with modern-day Turkey. They were first called Christians in Antioch. Where is that? Antakya, Turkey. So a lot of the travels of Paul in the early churches were in Turkey. If you look at the churches in Revelation, Turkey. So... Uh, uh, at least I think uh, most of them were in modern day Turkey, also maybe a few in Greece. So the Bible says, though, in verse 2, 
So the disciples are scattered all over the place, and we're going to talk about why they're there. Have you ever been to the Waffle House and you get the hash browns? And you can order them different ways, and they've got this little menu up there. And the first one is, I think, scattered, and then smothered. I don't know, is that onions? They put smothered, and then covered, and you can get, like, cheese. And so, verse 2 the disciples were kind of like scattered, smothered, and covered, like Waffle House, okay? So they were scattered to the four winds of Turkey, and they were all over the place, all over the empire. But we find out that they were also smothered and covered. So they were smothered. It said, peace be multiplied. You know, there's an inside condition and an outside condition of a Christian. And we might be going through stuff on the outside, but notice the dominating factor, peace be multiplied. And they were covered, it said, sprinkling with the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, there was going to be a death angel that came over in, in Egypt. And he said, you've got to put the blood on the top of the doorpost and on the side posts. And you go inside your house. And he said, when I see the blood... He said, I'm going to pass over you. You're not going to face the judgment of God. You know, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, one drop of the blood of Jesus Christ, that is the Christian's body armor. You know, you see those drinks, body armor, or people with under armor. You know, like that one guy with the shirt, you know, is it Kermit the Frog? It says, your shirt says UFC, but your body says KFC. <laughs> so, but we find that Jesus Christ is there to make us prosper. So there was a fire in Rome. In July 18th, 64 AD, Nero was in command or in control. He was the emperor. Well, it destroyed Rome. Who did it? Nobody knows, okay? Probably the emperor Nero himself. That's kind of the common belief. You know why? He was a designer. He wanted to redesign, so he figured he could just burn it all down and then build it back the way he wanted to. One way to do it, right? Well, they had to be a scapegoat. So when eyes began to look to Nero, if he was in the one that did it, you know what he did? He's like, mm -mm, I'm not going to take the blame for this, even though he probably did it. So do you know who he found? The Jews. No, the Christians. He's like, these are the different people. They're not like us. And so a persecution arose against Christians. They would even, it was horrible. And this is the persecution Peter writes about. So it was like a shockwave that came out from Rome. And they would sow, uh, uh, they would, they would uh, put Christians inside of animal skins. And they would make them crawl around. And they would uh, make lions and different things, uh, send them out against them in, uh, in theaters for people to watch. Uh, one one uh, sort of a barbecue that Nero had, he coated Christians, this is a true story, in tar. And he lit them on fire when they were alive. So at night he could have lights uh, for his party. He was a wicked, evil emperor. But this was the persecution that scattered people. And, uh, so, uh, and it eventually claimed the life of Peter as well, this same persecution. And uh, I guess you could probably get out of it. All you could do is renounce Christ and say, I'm not with them. I'm not with them. But notice, 
These people were living in the crisis. So the first thing we're going to focus on, we'll get there in a second, is our salvation. Because they didn't want to reject Jesus Christ. And you know what? Something that we've, a lot of American Christians really haven't had to make that choice. Am I going to choose Christ or am I going to choose uh, death? And uh, Peter, when he was killed, he was crucified. Church tradition tells us that he didn't, he didn't even want to be, he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Jesus. So he requested to be crucified upside down. He said, I don't, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like Jesus. So some powerful themes in First uh, Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verse 3. So the Bible says, even in times of craziness and crisis, notice, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we see that word hope right there. Uh, the Bible says that there's three things that abide. Have you ever read that in 1 Corinthians? Faith, hope, and it's called charity, but it's agape love. Faith, hope, and love. Three things that Christians know that never end. Um, the Bible said the greatest of these is charity. That one man on, uh, on YouTube, his name is David Pawson, he said, but the most neglected is hope. And a lot of times that, you see, that hope makes us not ashamed, but we need to hold on to the hope of the resurrection. The Bible says it's a lively hope, but it's like alive, it's living. Like, uh, wasn't it uh, Dr. Frankenstein when he made his, his beast, he goes, it's alive! You know, but that living hope that Christians have, not just a, a worship time, but there is a living hope. Why do you need hope? Things don't look like they're going right, but I need a lively hope in Jesus Christ. That's verse 3. But if we go to verse 4, to an, why? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Now, I was listening and, and this uh, gentleman shared that someone had broken into a Christian's uh, house with a gun and pointed it. The Christian was up because he was studying. It was a, a gentleman who was in education. So he has you know, books open and whatever. And, and the man pointed a gun at this uh, at this Christian and the Christian looked at him and he said what brought you to this how did you get in this situation and it said the man with the gun put out his gun and he was led to Christ you know it's an amazing thing when you face a Christian they were not afraid to die but they're still concerned even about the ones that are assaulting them there is power in hope the Bible says, who are kept by the power of God through faith. There's that second eternal thing, faith. The themes in the Bible aren't just like in Corinthians. It's, it's the word of God. So that's the cool thing about the word of God. It's like a tossed fruit salad or whatever. And there's like grapes and strawberries everywhere. Okay, it's not just like in the one little corner of the salad. Okay, but it's all over the place. So Peter and Paul were just mouthpieces, but the word of God is through and through who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. There's that theme, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
There was, a, I think, Superman 2. Lois Lane is being carried by Superman. He's flying. I think he grabbed her off the Eiffel Tower or something when terrorists were going to blow it. And uh, he said something like, I've got you, ma'am. You know, he's got his, his red undies on the outside of his, you know, under armor, whatever he's wearing. And uh, he's got the little curl and, you know, and they're flying. And she said something like, you've got me? Who's got you? You know that a lot of times we wonder who's got God. But let me tell you, I don't know, but God's got it. God is the one who's going to take care of us. We're kept by the power of God. And so many times we think that we're supposed to hold on to everything. No, we're supposed to let go and let God be God. We're kept by faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, wherein you do greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, God's in control. You are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That doesn't mean there's cookies and ice cream in the freezer and you're like, temptation, right? Uh, the, it's not about, you know, you're like, huh, the manifold, the, the, the temptations. Isn't that a music group? It's not talking about those temptations. It's not talking about carnal temptations. It's talking about the persecution that was facing the church at that time. So it says in verse 7, here's another faith hope and faith, that the trial of your faith. When we're living in a crisis, you know one of the things that can develop is your faith. Being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. You know that gold, when it's put under heat, becomes more pure. And maybe you don't know that. It, it, that's how they refine gold. They would put it under heat, intense heat, and all of the impurities would come out of that gold. And it says... Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know, when you refine gold, you get less of it. Because when you start with impure gold, you got a piece this big, you know, my arms are kind of stretched out. And then when you refine it with heat, it gets smaller. It's worth more to have the, the pure gold. But, you know, it's not so with faith. When your faith gets put under fire, it doesn't shrink it actually grows. It responds. I like what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica. He said that your faith groweth exceedingly. I like that. That's God's desire for us. And so if it be need be, have you ever gone through something and you're like, God, I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know. I think we all probably have it at certain times. Because when you become a Christian, trouble starts. So you want some real trouble? Invite someone to church. You want some real trouble? Get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So, oh, pray. I thought everything was supposed to go good then. No, you have just joined the other team. Now you're, you know, when you come, become a Christian, instead of being in the stands, you're on the field now. And you're on the team and you're, you're running against opposition. And you get promoted, you get up against harder people opposing you. And one of the reasons is Christians have this thing called a mouth. And Christians speak something called the truth. And people don't like that. And you can say it in love and you can say it, but if you say it, there's going to be people that they will go to great lengths to shut you up if it means uh, taking extreme measures. But uh, I just kind of accept trouble. And sometimes uh, God knows it can't be avoided. So what am I going to do? I'm going to hold on to Jesus Christ and I'm going to let my faith in Christ grow anyway through all this. There's a poem it says, it's called Along the Road, and it's by Robert Browning Hamilton, and it's actually pretty good. 
I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. You know, when we go through something rough, you learn a lot, don't you? You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about your walk with God. You learn a lot when when you have to make a decision. Man, am I going to pay my tithe or am I going to pay this that needs to be paid as well? Am I going to go to church or am I going to do what this friend wants? You know, when you make those decisions, you kind of see where you stand with God. And you know that I believe that God will put us uh, into those positions to see who we love. That's what it all comes down to. And that's the last eternal thing, love. Whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Whom having not seen ye love. Isn't that what Jesus said? Thomas, you're blessed because you've seen and you believe, but blessed are they which don't have not seen and yet believe. You know, it's an interesting thing with Peter. There were two fires in the New Testament like charcoal fires, like warming fires. And the first one is when Peter was warming his hands and Jesus was being uh, 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 tried and examined. And Peter was, he was inquired of by some people. He's like, hey, you were with Jesus, weren't you? He's like, Peter's like, no, no, not me. And then he's like, wait, yeah, you are. You, you, your speech betrays you. You like, speak like a Galilean. Your accent, right? I can, you, you know, you're like you're from McClenny. I can tell. You know, I can. You talk like this, right? That's probably not McClenny, right? That's. But uh, Peter began to curse and swear, and he didn't curse like saying a four-letter word. He 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 called down curses upon himself if what he said wasn't true. That's what he said. If, if, if I'm lying, I'm dying. That's the kind of cursing that Peter did. He said, I don't know him. And he's warming his hands at the fire. Well, after Jesus rose from the dead, there was another fire. Jesus had cooked breakfast, right? So there's fish on the fire and there's bread on the fire. Jesus even cooks breakfast. Peter had swum to the shore and he was probably cold. So he comes up to the next fire. Oh man, you see what, why? Because God's not gonna, if we fail a test, guess what? Ding, ding, round two, right? That's what, so he's up at another fire and he's probably thinking, oh, I remember the last time I was in a fire. But this time it's Jesus talking to him. And you know what Jesus said? Peter, you messed up. You're not gonna be a preacher. You're not gonna, definitely not gonna be a pastor. You're gonna go on one year probation, right? No. You know all he asked, and this is really the key between us and between God. He said, Peter, do you love me? That's all he said. And you know, that's the question that makes the difference. Do we love, do we love Jesus? Because if we love Jesus, God can sort all the other stuff out. God is ready to forgive. But God wants our heart. And you can read about it. It's really good. Verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith. There is an end to faith and there is an end to sin. The end of faith, the Bible said, the salvation. That's the first theme of your souls. And then the Bible begins to explain this salvation, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. They didn't know what we were going to get when they were writing in the Old Testament. I can imagine that. They were just writing going, what's all this stuff about? 
searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things. So they didn't even get to be the beneficiaries of their own prophecies, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So in verse 13, it talks, it says, get ready. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope unto the end, to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means when he appears and the church is, is raptured. So to gird up your loins. I mean, preacher, that doesn't even sound right. It sounds unsanitary. Well, people would wear a girdle, which looked like the WWF belt, right? So the men would wear this big, you know, leather belt. And they would have long flowing robes. Look at pictures of modern Saudi Arabians dressed, probably a long white robe. And it would, all of your stuff would be gathered inside of this belt. Well, well, if you had to fight or flight, so you had to, you know, uh, mix it up or you had to run, you didn't want to trip on that long robe. So you would gather all of those things up and kind of tuck them into that belt. That's what, gir- it's a girdle. So you would, not like a lady's girdle, but that's what girding up your loins. I'm like pass it through their legs or something and kind of uh, fix yourself up before you took off or before you began to fight. And that's what God is saying, that we need to tie up our loose ends, right? Have you ever done that before? You do, you tighten your shoes or you double knot your laces because you're going to run. You don't want your laces flopping all over the place. Well, like at the beginning of a race, what do they say? Get ready. Get set. Go. Well, they don't even say that. In a real race, what do they do? They say, take your mark. I mean, that's all they say. And after that, everyone's down and ready. And then, pow, the gun goes. Well, that's what God says. Take your mark. You know, when you're going through it and it's getting crazy, God's like, get ready. Because God's about to do something. We need to be ready to make the right decisions for him. So, verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. You know, I tell my daughter, I say, children, and she quotes Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Because, you know, it's what the Bible says, not what I say. But you know what? David was the same way. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. He said, I'm going to follow my, I'm going to be like a child and I'm going to follow the leader. And even uh, Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. I'm going to follow and be obedient and let my children follow me and be obedient to me as I'm obedient to Christ. But verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means everywhere that you conduct your life. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. If God's holy. In, in heaven, there are creatures that shout, holy, holy, holy. Is this a holiness church? No, God's church is a holy church because God is a holy God. There's no like holy Christians and worldly Christians. There's just Christians. But God is a holy God. And uh, my daughter left me a note on, on one of the chairs where we live, uh, where we eat. And it says, be mine. I guess it's Valentine's Day coming up. And so she's leaving these notes. And uh, it reminded me of the Old Testament 
when you talk about the law to your children, when you sit down and when you rise up and when you walk. And, and it's like everywhere, show your kids God. And, you know, that's really God's desire for us to be his wherever we are, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're at church, whether you're having an intense conversation with your wife, to be his, temper it with his love. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, godly reverence. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or manner of life, from your show-off life, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So when I was in Turkey, I, I shared this uh, when I was a little kid about second grade, probably around Cappadocia, okay? But I was in Turkey, and we saw this. I was a second grader, and I, my, my daughter's age now, and I saw this cute little lamb. My, my parents said it might have been a goat, but I remember it being white, okay? Goats are usually different colors. And we were looking at it, and then all of a sudden, they cut its neck. And what they were doing is they were going to kill it and prepare it for some food for the visitors. That's us. And so I was mortified because I thought it was like, you know, like killed the family dog, right? But that's what they would do. And Jesus was the Passover lamb. And now I understand it. And it's so innocent. But, you know, Jesus, you know how they would kill the Passover lamb? I ran out of time. But they would just slit the throat. And that would end it. You know that Jesus endured a little bit more than that. The Bible records they buffeted him, they hit him, they mocked him, they would blindfold him, and then they hit him and said, prophesy unto us, Christ, who smote you? And worse than that, they spit on him. You know, I I can't, you know, right in his face. Can you imagine? And what would he have done? Man, what would you do if someone spit in your face? Most of us would probably have a reaction, right? Fist cocked back and then, you know, or threatening words or something like that. But Jesus let people do that. He was, he was, he was treated way worse than the regular Passover lambs, but he did it because he loved us. He loved us. He allowed that suffering and he allowed those other things to be his signature of his love for us. So I got five. First, let me just run these real So God has a plan, God had a plan, and God will have a plan. Verses 20 to 25. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Before God made the world, God made the plan of salvation. God is a planner, okay? You ever have those daily planners, you know, before iPhones, and you could buy this planner, you know? God has a planner, and it lasts forever. God's planned out, right? But was made manifest, was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope, there's those two things again, might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Mm. You know, when you really love your brother, your wife, your mother, your sister, it doesn't, it doesn't just, things are easier that way. It's just not fake, it's real. You don't hold grudges, right? Some people have a one-car grudge and a two-car grudge, right? But you don't have to have a grudge. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. You know, when people come and they see, wow, people love each other in there. People are looking when they come to church. They're going to see if they get the, uh, 
You know, like that cannibal that he never went back to the buffet. Why? Because when he went to the buffet, he, all they gave him was the cold shoulder, right? So he didn't want to go back there again. But if you just go get the cold shoulder, and people are looking, man. They come from rough places to the house of God. So you've got to show, you got not fake. It says unfeigned love, but just love people, man. It makes a difference. <laughs> Being born again, three verses, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. You read uh, often of a sports movie, music, icon that just all of a sudden they're gone, right? I mean, they're dominating the box office, dominating the court, dominating the field, and then passes away at 27, passes away. At, well, you know what? All the glory of this earth is going to pass away, but the word of God will not pass away. You can trust in it. But the word of the Lord, verse 25, we're going to leave right there. Living in a crisis. What's the first thing we need to trust in or develop in or focus on? God's word. And you're in Bible study. That's the right place to be. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by, this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. By the ever present and the all uh, sustaining and the never ending word of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this Bible study. Lord, as we live in a crisis and some might not be experiencing a personal crisis right now. But God, I believe it somewhere. And that we need to live in a crisis marking the first thing in, the, in First Peter. The first theme is a focus on our salvation. To develop our salvation. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And to let God have his way through our heart. Through faith. Through hope. And through that very amazing love of God. That's through us and to us. And we can show to others in Jesus Precious name. Amen.